Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast coming to you from an extremely, extremely warm London. It's far too hot. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today. And joining me is Mr. Sam Ty, the Rank God. How you doing, fella? I'm very good, mate. I am also steaming hot. This is not pleasant, is it? But I am getting along. I'm coping. I made the really, really poor decision to go for a run this morning. Um, I thought half eight, it would just, the sun hasn't really come up at half eight, you know how it works. Um, I thought it would be relatively cool. I can confirm it was not relatively cool in any regard or aspect. It was an absolute painful slog. Um, yeah. So the things I would not like advise anyone to do, go for a run in this heat. Jack texts me saying, I've made a huge mistake. I've made a huge, huge mistake and didn't tell me what it was. I, I honestly assumed the absolute worst. I was worried about all sorts of different things. I said, what is it, mate? And he goes, I've been for a run. It was bad. I was like, okay, bit dramatic, but I was then able to send him pictures of super hands when he accidentally ran to Windsor in Peep Show. So that made my day a little bit brighter as well. Felt, felt better having seen those pictures. Now you'll notice that Dean Jones isn't with us today. It's because Dean is feeling a little bit under the weather. So we're giving him the space and time to recover. Uh, instead, we're bringing in some outside help, some external force to, uh, to really give you the some deep analysis, some uh, some a little bit more depth in this in this podcast. We're bringing in the mighty Joe Donahue from Scouted Football. Um, you might recognise Scouted Football. We've done some bits and bobs with them before. We are uh, huge fans of their work. I'm really excited about having Joe on. He's going to be talking about the Olympics uh, with Sam uh, and the Olympic squads and and things to look out for in Olympic football because there's a couple of really really exciting storylines kicking around over there. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the gold cup and um, because international football despite some people thinking it ended when the copper and euros came down as a curtain closer um it was only the beginning really of, of international summer uh, because not only is the olympics about to kick off but also we've had the gold cup in central and north america and it's been really exciting um frankly we've had a a really good time and and CONCACAF have organized a tournament that is kicking along pretty tidily i think would be the the phrase i would use we've had some mad games um perhaps the standout fixture so far was qatar three panama three um which happened about a week ago from the point you're listening to this podcast um qatar took the lead three times in this game and were pegged back uh, every single time and the Panama coach, who you might recognize from a very brief stint at Leeds, um, Thomas Christensen, uh, was well, he was incredibly grateful to have got out of it with a point, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, he, he thought that they didn't deserve anything out of that game. But Panama still uh, have qualification hopes. Um, there's been some really exciting stuff. It's Group C, um, where Costa Rica and Jamaica are currently, at the time recording, both on six points. Um, they play each other tonight. Um, so before this podcast is released, we'll actually know who tops Group C. Um, the winners of that group will play Canada. Second place will play the USMNT. And maybe the, the most 
talked about team here in this competition is this sort of baby USMNT, as I'm calling them. Um, we've seen them call up almost no players that you would expect to see in recent USMNT squads, almost no players who you saw in that Nations League victory over Mexico uh, just a couple of months ago. Uh, instead, it's basically a domestic side pulled up from within MLS, um, some younger players. And what I can say about this USMNT side, Sam, is they're getting the job done. Um, now, it hasn't been pretty. It hasn't always been particularly exciting. They beat Martinique 6-1 in the second game, which was fun. Daryl DK, who spent last year on loan at Barnsley and, you know, tore up the championship, frankly. Um, he, he got two in that game. The other games have been not nervy, I would say, but have been tight, kind of very, very... Yeah, a couple attritional, of one nils, right? Yeah. No, but attritional affairs. It's not so much the one nils. You can have incredibly exciting one nils. It wasn't so much that. They you know, beat Haiti in the first game, one nil. And then they beat Canada in the last game, one nil. And they scored after 20 seconds and then defended pretty much for the rest of the game. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. It wasn't particularly exciting. It was a bit of a drab game, to be perfectly honest. But the US stopped Canada creating chances. Now, this is a Canada side without Alfonso Davis in it. He's... Um, on home with an injury without no, Jonathan, Jonathan David, David yeah. in it. Um, so it's not the Canada squad that perhaps you, you might expect, but that all said, the US needed to get the job done and they got the job done. And, and interestingly, Ayo Akinola started his first game for Canada in this game. He was subbed off injured, um, but he was someone who played for the US like literally six months ago in a friendly. So to see someone lining up against you who used to be part of camp um, was interesting. But the they love an early goal through. here, don't they? They got, uh, got a goal in the first minute against Canada and then eight minutes it took to, to break the deadlock against Haiti and only 14 against Martinique as well. And the ability to sit on the lead and protect it is a valuable thing in tournament football. So I'm not going to be turning my nose up it. Not that, not that you are either. Um, although it did strike me that they did decide after one minute to mostly just defend against Canada and there weren't many clear-cut chances created in like you say, it's not David, it's not it's not Davies, it's it's Carl Laren and Junior Hoyler. Uh, it's a, it's a different it's a different blend of players, but a little bit sketchy at times. Yeah, it, it was quite interesting. I thought James Sands was excellent. Um, he sort of came on as this. They, they sort of played a three-five-two-ish on on paper, but Sands sort of stepped out of the defensive line and played as a defensive midfielder, and it looked quite a lot, to be honest, like a, a four-four-two diamond by the end of the game. Um, it was just sort of Sam sweeping up in front of the defence. And I thought he had a really, really good game. He, he shut down almost everything. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a particularly exciting performance. But it means that the US are now out of the side of the bracket with Mexico in it, which means that they're favourites to, to reach another final uh, in this competition. Uh, but Mexico haven't had it all their own way either. They, they drew 0-0 in their first game against Trinidad and Tobago. And while they bounced back from that, they got two wins. They've won the group. They did what they needed to do. It hasn't been altogether completely convincing. So, so there's that element of it. I, I was just been really excited about Jamaica. Um, they've been great fun. And this is a group of players who haven't played together all that much um, as, uh, as a team, to be honest. And, and the reggae boys, they have a lot of players and it's a sort of new direction in some ways that they've basically just called up loads of players from from England, frankly, and uh, from the Premier League, from the Championship, we've seen, you know, Dylan Barnes, who's QPR goalkeeper, he's in the squad. Michael Hector of Fulham in the squad, playing as a defensive midfielder, which is 
interesting. Um, I would say Amari Bell of Luton Town, Liam Moore of Reading, Adrian Mariapa of Bristol City, uh, and you go on Bobby Reed from from Fulham as well, and, and Andre Gray from from Watford. So there's a lot kind of going on here, and then obviously you look at the kind of talisman as well in in, in Leon Bailey uh, of, of Bayer Leverkusen, and, and there's just sort of this bizarre lack of cohesion I would say and not not to say that they haven't been playing well together but it, it was a sort of a, a squad that just feels like it's been chucked together by sort of everyone and anyone that's about um, and willing to play but they've been loads of fun I uh, really enjoyed their 2-0 win in the in the first group game Bobby Reed scored an absolute stunner worth checking out if you haven't seen it before um, but then they struggled in their last game and um, now Bobby Reed then got went and got COVID which isn't ideal. Um, you know, it's, it's not really what you want to happen. So the whole squad had to isolate for a little while. They went 1-0 down to Guadeloupe through an Amari Bell own goal in like the fourth minute. Uh, and it took a moment of absolute magic from Junior Flemings in the 87th minute to actually win the game for them. But it does mean they're level on points with Costa Rica, to play Costa Rica in the last game, um, winner of which will play Canada, the runner-up of which will play the USMNT. Um which means it's quite an interesting place to be. Now, you don't know what's going to happen there. Will Bobby Reed be back for, for those quarterfinal games? I'm not sure currently, but it's a really interesting squad. And, and Costa Rica are kind of this aging band of brothers for so long, it feels that they've been the third best team in CONCACAF. And, and it feels like they've had a, a dominance on that for so long. And yet it still feels this team is just completely reliant on Brian Ruiz doing everything. Um, and, and and that's a really odd place to be. At this Nothing's kind of changed point. in seven years, has it? Exactly. Um, now, it, this is the kind of last hurrah, you'd imagine, of that Costa Rica team. So I'll be really intrigued. Obviously, by the time this is released, you'll know who's won that game. But I just got to say that there's there's a lot going on in the Gold Cup. And, and I've had quite a lot of fun watching do, it. Do you know who I've been supporting? Who? Who have you been supporting? Granada. Well, I mean, it would it would only work for you, right? In terms of that's the team that sounds like the club you support. Yes, precisely. It's just one letter away. So I decided to support them. It's been, I'll be honest, it's been a bit tough being a Granada fan. Um, yeah, been great. No, I mean, look, final game tonight. So again, by tomorrow, you'll know what it is against Panama. But two four nil losses already eliminated. But tough one, tough one. But I've, I've, I've. I've, I've taken a look through the Granada squad and it's it's sort of singing to me because there's actually in this in the same way that Jamaica have called up a lot of like championship and Premier League players that are English Jamaican and just never really got the, the break. Um, Granada have, have had to go one further and this all this often happens as well like t- teams from the islands like St Vincent and the Grenadines are another one they have to go quite far down the pyramid to find like third generation players do you fancy playing an international game do you want to fly out yeah sure okay fine they just get the weirdest attraction of players and. There are players in this Gold Cup squad who play football literally about 20 minutes away from my house. Like they play for Dartford, they play for Welling, they play for Cray Wanderers. There's a, there's a couple of brothers, Reese Charles Cook and Regan Charles Cook in the squad. There's Jacob Berkeley, Aggie Pong at Dartford. So I drive past one of these stadiums on my way to the driving range to play golf. Like I, I'm quite interested. It's quite cool. And there's, I tell this story a lot, but maybe never on here. There was, um, the left back that I used to, in when I used to play in Bristol, uh, 11 aside, our left back got a call from the St. Vincent and the Grenadines FA to ask if he'd like to fly out and have a, have a week's training with us because obviously they have to search quite far and wide for their players. And our left back got the call from the FA, uh, but unfortunately they couldn't pay for his flight. He had to pay for his own flight to go and get the trial. Might have been a scam, to be fair, uh, but he was he was one quarter St. Vincent and the Grenadines, whatever it was, and he 
couldn't end up going. But it is like it feels like a real true to home story. Um, so I've been rooting for them. They've been awful, obviously, but uh, yeah. I'll probably go and see a couple of these players in in non-league football and, and over the next year or so when I'm back into stadiums. Yeah, I mean, it seems like something you could get on board with, right? Um, mm. but obviously, over the next couple of days, obviously the final uh, is well, the the quarterfinals are going to be on on Saturday and Sunday, uh, and then the semifinals are the Thursday after that, and the the final is the sun or Sunday week, should we say? But um, yeah, if if you I would not suggest maybe staying up for it if you're in the UK. I have been staying up for it because I'm a weirdo um, and I and I just love football. But, it, it, I mean, there's p- plenty to watch here on catch-up. Uh, there's plenty to watch over the course of the weekends. Um, and obviously, if you're in the States and or you're uh, across the world and the time zones are a little bit more friendly, I'm, I'm really, really having a good time. And I would, I would ask that you give it a chance because everybody seems to be having fun. Right then. With that Gold Cup sorted, we should probably move on, Sam, to the Olympics. Now, there's three mini rankings that you're going to give us here um, in all aspects of, of Olympic football. We'll talk a little bit about storyline, about the, the big contenders uh, and about some of the squads that we just really like. And uh, really excited for Joe Donahue to join us. So let's get into it. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to part two of the Ranks FC podcast. I'm delighted to say that we are joined by a new member, a new guest, Mr. Joe Donahue uh, of Scouted Football fame, but also the Leeds reporter for Leeds Live. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. A real pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you for the introduction, Jack. Uh, I wouldn't quite say fame, but you know, that's that's up to you to say. That's up for you guys to decide. But no, thank you for having me on. I'm a big fan of the pod. So it's uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Well, you know that we're both huge fans of Scouted as well. So this is a, that, that's a two-way street in, in, in so many ways. Um, I'm going to throw it to Sam. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Olympics and what we're looking out for, some of the storylines that are, are buzzing around, some of the cool squads, some of the main contenders. Um, Sam, this isn't something that we necessarily planned on doing, but we had a look at these squads and it all got a little bit exciting and we, we thought it might be fun. Yeah, I just started picking through them um, just to catch up on, you know, obviously with the Euros frenzy and the Copper America frenzy, it's been very difficult to keep up with absolutely everything that's going on. So then you sort of catch up, you start looking through the squad list and you start picking out, oh, that one looks quite good. Oh, they've got like three or four quite interesting players. Oh, wow, they're sending all those players. Oh my God. And it starts to get quite exciting. So I just thought we should definitely do something to, to preface the Olympics, even if we don't cover it entirely all the way through. And just take a look at some of these squads and some of these storylines heading in. So I've kind of got three mini rankings of three, if you like. Uh, the first will be the top three storylines heading into the tournament. Uh, then we'll go on to talk about the genuine top three contenders for this crown. And I've picked my, my top three. Um, and then I'm going to talk about three teams that I'm quietly rooting for. Quietly. It's not my nation. However, England or Britain don't have a side. So... I've got to support someone, haven't I? Okay. All right. Well, uh, crack on into it then and we'll see how we go. All right. Well, look, the first thing we have to say when we talk about the storylines is that naturally we're looking for positive storylines and things we can smile about and talk about. But we do have to mention the fact that Germany's Olympic team walked out of a warm-up friendly against the Honduras team a couple of days ago. Score 1-1, 85th minute, because Jordan Torreniga was allegedly racially abused by a Honduran player. Now, the German FA have condemned it. Jordan Torreniga's club, Hertha Berlin, have condemned it as well. Honduras have said it was a misunderstanding. We don't know all the details. Look, we don't want to spend too much time on this. This is sadly too prevalent in our game. It definitely didn't want to be a main feature of our storylines, but it's not something I can ignore. And I do have to call it out at the top and condemn 
Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I think it's only natural that when things like this come out, that you at the moment, especially, we immediately assume the worst, right? It is such a problem at the moment in general, and 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 we've seen it time and time again you know after the end of the euros across the copper the, you know and even spreading across into other sports now we saw lewis hamilton had to go through at the weekend uh, after his win in in the grand prix so it, at this point you you naturally assume that that when when it happens and when someone like jordan tony walks out that he's he's in the right um and and therefore you have to you have to look at this as something that absolutely needs to be kicked out before we can move forward in any kind of shape or, or, or space but yeah as you say let's um let's try and look at some positives before we before we go on all right be a bit more positive and uh, at number three here is we do need to talk about the size of these preliminary squads because i think they're getting a little bit out of hand now ahead of the euros remember england's called up 33 provisional players i think the dutch did 34 or 30 35 as well. I think one other nation hit 35 too. And we thought that was a bit mad. Well, how about these? And I appreciate Olympic selection is difficult, but Brazil went ahead and called up 50 players in June, right? Not to be beaten. Spain called up 60. And then South Africa's preliminary squad, the first one, 78 players. <laughs> Guys, what are you doing? Just ask the clubs in advance if you're likely to get the player. You don't have to call up 78 players in case like, you know, 40 or 50 aren't able to make it. This is absolutely absurd, but it did crack a smile on my face, I have to say. Calling up 78 players. Imagine the poor social media intern having to write all those names out on a graphic. <laughs> Just one of those things. You're like, like, are you pleased? I don't know. I mean, Joe, what are your thoughts here? Like, if you are one of those players called up at the 75, right? And you're like, there's no way I'm going to the Olympics. So like, there's absolutely no chance in hell that I'm actually going to make the final squad here do you get pleased because you've made the preliminary or are you are you just like this is ridiculous i mean first of all it, it seems like the um you know football manager where you've got the national pool and you're a national team manager and you just have 150 players to pick from and you're like how on earth am i going to pick a squad you, you've just taken the job of some nation in south america perhaps and you're like well how am i going to be able to pick the players here out of 150 like there's so many names that i don't even know there's players from Peñarol, danubio there's it's it's it's, it's incredible but yeah, 78. I mean, I saw the uh, the Spanish squad um, pick up 60 players um, in their preliminary squad. And I was like, 60 seems a lot. And then as, as I scrolled down a little bit further, I was like, ah, so this is a thing. This is actually, you know, the other countries are doing this. I didn't know that South Africa called up 78. That's quite literally ridiculous. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Am, am I pleased? I don't know. I'm, I think... Initially, you, you either get that phone call or you get the email or whatever it is, however players are informed these days. But um, I don't know, you, you probably look at that squad then and think, I'm in there, but oh, I'm one of 78. Like, <laughs> what, what, what are my chances at this point? I mean, you, you then look at the, the other players in your position and you're like, oh, man. Well, you just have to start hoping that they, uh, they're not allowed to go, don't you? If they're better than you, you're like, right, let's let's hope let's hope that they're not allowed up by their clubs. And in and doing so, then reduce your own chances of winning the tournament. <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, the one. whole thing's a, the whole thing's a bit of a farce. But yeah, I yeah. I enjoy it. It's it's good for good for morale, maybe. Yeah. It does lead us on to the, the second point as well, the second storyline, which is it's always an interesting one. Basically checking in on who is allowed to go and who is not. And these conversations can get pretty awkward sometimes because obviously all the important players would love to go to the Olympics and represent their country. They dream of it, really. But all of the best clubs do not want to let their best players go at such an awkward time of the season. 
because basically you get what your your entire preseason is obliterated and you end up going and flying out to Tokyo and playing a really intense set of games. I think it's a game every three days up to six games. So it's quite intense. And then you after you come back, you're obviously going to need to have a break of some description. So then you miss the first, what, month of the season? Like, it's always awkward. I always remember, like, Leo Messi in Argentina and Barcelona always constantly arguing about this. But that hasn't been a problem this time around because, obviously, Messi in the Copa America. This time around, it's been Mohamed Salah and Egypt and Liverpool who have had quite a, quite a few arguments about this. And it seems as though Liverpool have indeed won that argument and Mohamed Salah won't be at the Olympics. But it's quite cool to see a couple of genuine stars for their nations actually get the nod here and be allowed to go and two i've picked out here uh frank kessie nice is, is going with the with with ivory coast like i didn't i didn't see that come in um i wonder if it's to do with the, his new contracts um sort of on the horizon you know they're trying to keep him sweet you know he's asked to go to the olympics and they go yeah all right well maybe if that enhances our chances of keeping you on for a bit longer frank maybe you can go and, and the other one is chris wood like there's no way that burnley would be happy about this. There's no way Sean Dyche is like, yeah, I don't need Chris Wood for the first month of the season. No, like, Burnley, that... always, Burnley always starts slow. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's very true. There's no way that they want Chris Wood to go, but Chris Wood is going and he's playing for New Zealand and it's really cool. But the big one here in terms of tussles is Romania. I don't know how, how much you guys have seen about this, but barely any of Romania's best under 23s are going to Tokyo. And a couple of people have had some stuff to say about it. Mircea Lucescu, legendary Romanian coach, formerly of Shakhtar Donetsk and now of uh, Dinamo Kiev, I think, said it is unacceptable that clubs would not release the best Romanian under 23s for this tournament because Romania haven't been to the Olympics for like 50, 60 years or something like that in a, fo- in a football essence. And you've got a series of players here that Joe, you'll be more familiar with than I will actually, but Yanis Hadji, Nikolai Stanchu, Razvan Marin, Ionet Radu, I'm doing badly with these pronunciations, I'm sure, and Dragos Nadelchu all all have basically been refused to go. They, they can't go. And Dennis Mann as well isn't involved, who would be in, who would be involved. And the general manager of Stal Bucharest, or the reincarnation of that club, has had as as bit back at Lechescu and said, We've got a European Cup to play, like we're in the qualifiers. What do you want me to do? Like let nine of my players go. They tried to call up nine of his players. He's like, What well, do you want me to let, let, let nine players go? And us failed to qualify for the Champions League. And then he took a giant dump on Olympic football and said it wasn't really relevant and wasn't really a, a thing. He said it's for discus throwers, weightlifters and boxers. There is no Olympic football. Jesus. So this has been interesting in Romania. Uh, it's obviously a point of real pride for some people and clearly the complete opposite for the others. But Romania are sending a super weak squad when the players I've listed, Joe, You'll be familiar with a, with a fair few of them, Dennis Mann in particular, but they could have actually made a few waves. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, when you mentioned it, sort of when we were doing the prep for this, I, I wasn't aware of Luchescu's comments. And then going to see what he'd actually said, I thought it would be the, the customary, the standard, oh, why won't you release players? But I mean, that's some serious slander on the Olympic Games. He went real hard, yeah. <laughs> Didn't he? That is some serious slander. Um, I mean, clearly he's a bit annoyed by that. But to be honest... You would be too if you if you were wanting to take the Olympics seriously. That is what your vested interest was in, and you were denied the right to have the likes of Dennis Mann, Yanis Haji, um, Jonat Radu, those types of players. I mean, 
I I I I got very fond of the Romanian under twenty one team when um when I was at the the under twenty one Euros a couple of years ago and they were just you know they were vibrant they were they were fearless they they played really you know gutsy football uh, and Haji in sort of the number ten sort of a, an eight slash ten role um was was fantastic there there was um Yonut Radu was was in goal he was he was a great personality and it was it was really well followed I remember being in in Bologna. Uh, for the semi-final and uh, there were about twelve and a half thousand Romanian fans there and you know it was just the atmosphere was incredible and you thought this is for a, a 21s game I mean this this wouldn't be out of place at a senior match um so for them to be denied the right to to go there yeah you can see you can understand why they're probably a bit a bit miffed by it but I mean you can also see it from the other side I mean Yanis Haji and, and the and the, the FCSB players they're all, I mean, Haji plays for, for Rangers, um, but the FCSB players as well, you know, qualifying for the Champions League and for, for European competition is such, such a big driver in terms of finances for these clubs. So naturally, you can see why that's going to be prioritised over a, a competition where the, the FIFA don't actually, you know, hold any weight in terms of, no, you actually do have to release the players. Um, so I can see why Luchescu's a bit, uh, what's what's the word? Um, he's miffed. He's miffed. Miffed. Yeah, I can see why he's been a bit a bit <laughs> perturbed by that. I think. And then the general manager of of FCSB has a point when he's trying to say like, dude, I'm trying to qualify for the Champions League. It's like quite a lot of revenue that I need <laughs> yeah. for this club, and you tried to call up nine of my players in. The, the way this ended was two of the nine have ended up in the Olympic squad, uh, yeah, and, and they're not the best ones, obviously. But it's, he, he got two. A peace offering. <laughs> It's a funny one, though, isn't it? Because, like, you know, you look at someone like Yanis Haji and you'd imagine that, you know, I've seen some of the things coming out of Ibrox and it's been pleas from him to be like, please let me play. Like, I really, really want to go to the Olympics and represent my country. And Gerald's like, no, no, I need you, unfortunately. You're you're going to be remaining right here. And I don't know. Does that sour a relationship? Does, is, is that something that could genuinely, you know, be, be disastrous in terms of if, if Yanis Haji, who, who is a, you know, a wonderful talent. Now I'm not saying that he's the be all and end all for Rangers because they've, they've, they've been very, very good over the, over the last year or so. And, and, and they have kind of got that across the board, but in, on the whole, you know, someone who can light up a game like Yanis Haji and, and, and looks like he could be someone quite special for, for years to come. Souring that relationship seems like a gamble that I would not be taking if I was the Rangers hierarchy. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one. We, we, we can't really tell, but we do have the contrasting example here of AC Milan letting Frank Kessie go. Now, again, there is no way that they're happy about that, but they're probably trying to do the opposite. They're probably trying to sweeten the relationship. So they're probably worried about that, that idea of it souring because they're trying to get him to sign a new deal. And maybe they think that if he can go to the Olympics, he's more likely to do it. So we don't really have the evidence either way, Jack, but what Milan are doing and what Rangers are doing are the complete opposite of one another. Well, there was also like with Haji, there was already links away this summer, right? There was Sevilla was supposed to be interested, uh, if not mistaken, Lazio was supposed to be interested as well. So it's not like we've, this isn't like there's a player who's like, oh, I have nowhere to go. I have no interest in me altogether. Just, you know, upsetting that relationship seems like a you know funny thing to do. I can understand it. Like obviously, Rangers start their Champions League qualification too. So it's not like they, they're they not doing anything. But with a little bit more of a squad at his disposal and, and not nine players being asked to go, you'd mm. imagine that they might have just been like, oh, yeah, all right, go on then. Um, yeah. We'll probably cope without you for a month. But, you know, here we are. Here we are. It's not. It's a funny one though, because if you signed a player from an African nation, and you, and then we were like, oh no, you can't. You can't. Um, there's absolutely no chance you can go away for the African Cup of Nations in January because it's in the middle of the season. Everyone would be going absolutely ballistic. 
Like that, they wouldn't be acceptable by any stretch of the imagination. So why is it different for the Olympics? So what is it that Joe is at that point that you brought up is that FIFA kind of recognise one and, and maybe don't recognise the other? Yeah, I think so. It's something which FIFA can't enforce. I think it's because it's the, the Olympics is sort of headed up by the IOC and FIFA obviously, you know, hold rule over the federations. I think Olympics is sort of a separate entity to that. So they can't really enforce anything in terms of forcing clubs to to, to release their players. So, I mean, it's an interesting point you make, Jack, about the um, souring that relationship because, you know, while Haji is a very talented player and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced he'd light up the, the Olympics, he's not indispensable to Rangers. Like there have been times over the past year or so that he's not been a completely integral member of the, of the team. They, they have, they have got by without him and they've got by really well. So it's a strange one, but I suppose if you've got the, if, if you want to have all of your options at your disposal, then I suppose that is your prerogative when you're, when you are the club, you are their employer and you know, you've got the, you've got the choice essentially to to be like oh yeah go on then you know go and go and make history or actually no we might need you to come on in the 77th minute of it, a minute of a champions league qualifier against i don't know fc skendia from macedonia or something <laughs> yeah no i think you're absolutely spot on joe absolutely spot on um right sam what's the uh, top storyline the top storyline is basically the same as the others but it's just a specific example that i think just needs its own its own space it's the fact that pedri is going to the olympics he's going to the olympics I mean, are they trying to kill him? Because you know he's played a lot of games this season. He's played 52 games for Barcelona. Then there were four internationals for Spain ahead of the Euros. Six games at the Euros. So that is that's 62 games already. Then there are six potential games at the Olympics if Spain was to go to, go to the distance. He's probably going to hit 65. He's probably going to fall just short of 70. It's a madness, boys. This boy is sensational. But I actually thought we'd learned our lessons from this. I, re- I really did. Um, it'll probably be fine in September. He'll crack on. But when he's 28 and he falls off a physical cliff, right, I'm going to point back to this moment, this podcast, and say, I saw it with Wayne Rooney. I'm worried about it with Romelu Lukaku. And now it's happened to Pedri, right? We, because- we were looking out for his best interest here. We were looking out for his physical his physical well-being here. It, it is strange, though, isn't it? 62 games, did you say there? That's well, it's 62 ridiculous. already, yeah. Yeah. So he could be playing potentially 70 games in the space of 11, 12 months. It's but then also obscene. going straight back in. Like it's not, yeah. <laughs> you assume that Kermit isn't going to be like, oh yeah, have a month off, mate. No, no chance. That's not going to happen, is it? The Barcelona are not going to say, oh yeah, you were, you came into our team last season as a 17 year old and you were pretty integral. You know, just have the first month of the season off. Oh yeah, we didn't win the title last year, but we're probably going to need you this year. I mean, it's, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. So you do kind of feel for him because it's just been one thing to another to another to another and i mean yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of quietly rooting for spain to get knocked out in the groups purely so pedri can actually get a holiday like see like <laughs> some pictures of him in mykonos or something like you know like the england players we've seen but yeah he, he deserves it because he's been excellent as well that boy really what he really needs for his career is a couple of weeks away with jack grealish had um that that that'll give him the uh the boost he needs i think to kick on to the next level there is that worry though like and and you know all jokes aside you know and yes obviously players need rest and, and whatever but there is a level that when you see someone break through and play so many minutes early on in their career and and, and sam you, you talked a bit uh, in in a quite an amusing way over in the earlier in the week and you said that it's not just about your age on paper. It's if you cut their legs open and see how many rings they have in Don't terms of actual football, sh- actual football years. It, 
it changes your actual opinion. And, and, and it's true, you know, someone like Wayne Rooney breaking through at 16, right? By the time it got to the latter stages of his career, it was it was yeah. a completely different player because he wasn't able to do the same things that he was been able to do because he played so many years of football. And there yeah. is a worry that you burn someone like Pedri out when we're talking we're talking about him as someone who could be a Ballon d'Or contender for the next ten years. And I think that's completely fair enough. But there's also that worry that you know if he gets to 28 and he just can't move anymore because he was brought through so young, do you lose a, a top level talent by burning him out this early? Yeah, I mean, look that 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 analogy I made was was pretty botched um, about. It was, it was it was it was a reference to rings on a tree just so everyone knows you know when you sort of slice a tree open you can see how old it is um but it, actually the 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 point i was making was with about rafael varan wasn't it? because we were looking at it we were looking at potential signing for united we go, oh he's, he's, he's only 28 he's 28 but you know he's been playing he's had 10 seasons he's actually level. 33 like yeah, in football so terms in football years he's more like 33 so I was just trying to, I'm always skeptical. I'm always worried about that with Rooney and Lukaku is the, as the prime example. So Rooney obviously did fall off a cliff. I'm, I'm terribly worried about Lukaku and how much football he's played from right from the age of 16. And, and Pedri, you fall into the same category. I'm always just, I'm just a worrier. I just worry about these things all the time. You know, I just want the best players to, to be great forever. Jack, you'll be familiar with this concept, obviously. Ryan Sessegnon, he played, what, around 5,000 professional minutes by the age of 18? I mean, yeah. and then obviously he got his move to Spurs and just couldn't find the, I don't know, just couldn't find the gas to, to kick on in the same way. Obviously, it's it's good that he see, it seems as though he kind of has found his feet a little bit more going out to Germany and stuff. But you do worry about it, don't you? Because it is true. You know, you have a, you have a, an age on paper and you have a football age. And I, th- I think the analogy for the record, Sam, the analogy, I think is fantastic. I'm going to use that. And yeah, it's, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be sat out with mates and just be like, you know what? Yeah. He's 29, but I tell you what, he's been playing for Racing Club de Lens since he was 16. So, Hey, that's 13 <laughs> years of ex- professional experience there. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta think about it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, and look, the Sessignon thing's a strange one. I think part of that is just accidentally falling into someone who didn't trust him you know three weeks after he was he was brought into Spurs but but equally there is that level of okay we I don't really don't want to burn the kid out because that's exactly and you know it wasn't just he wasn't just playing professional football six he was playing championship football and it's incredibly physical it's incredibly demanding and there's 46 games a season on top of you know rather than 38 in the, in the Premier League or, or or in Serie A or La Liga so there's that kind of element where you're just adding games on and on and on and on. And, you know, that's before Fulham got to the playoffs. So it, it got to that point where you were looking at him being like, this kid has been used too much. And I'm worried that Pedri is going to be similar. Or Although I think the, the difference levels in quality are, are quite extreme still here. <laughs> you, you bring up the, the fact that it's a championship there as well and 46 games has reminded me that there's another name on my list of I'm so worried about this guy. It's Ivan Tony. He's played so many games of football in the lower leagues literally his entire career has been up in, in, the, in the lower league so far and he's played pretty much full seasons from the age of 19. So people look at him and go, he's in his mid-20s. Ah, is he? He's one of those again. He's in my brain. Look, I just worry about these things, but um, there you go. Okay. All right. Let's move on from storylines then, Sam. Uh, and let's move on to your next mini ranking. Okay. So now we're going to talk about some contenders. Flick through the squads, take a look at the strongest ones. It's a funny one because these squads are literally thrown together at points. Like this is a weird mishmash of players. For those that don't know, the Olympics is basically an under 23 tournament, but with the birth years that are in action on the under 21 tournament as well, 24 year olds are allowed in if you were born in the right year and you get three overage players. So you basically three asterisks. You can pick any players you want as long as they're released by their clubs and you can 
add some experience and some veteran-like presence to a young team. So it's quite oh, fun, isn't it? Like actually yeah. on, pa- on paper, like that's the kind of thing you should be like, I'll do that in the Carabao Cup. Just, just mm. have young players and allow three of your senior squad to play. That'd be yeah. more fun, wouldn't it? We'd enjoy ourselves more. It's, it's always really interesting to, to go through the squads and see like who, like who has used their experienced overage slots where, in which positions to see who values what, which coach values experience in which position, which nations are just simply blessed with uh, a ton of 23 or four year old defenders and therefore don't need to use one of those asterisk players at the back and can, and can go further forward. And also some, some teams just didn't use all three. They just used one, uh, which I thought was a bit odd because presumably the older players are a bit better, but you never know, I guess. But It's the Luis Enrique um, <laughs> approach. <laughs> don't pick as many players as you're meant to. Brilliant. Um, look, there is a really obvious top two in terms of squad quality, but third is up for grabs. Um, I considered a few things here before basically landing on Germany. Correct. Now, Germany have used their overage slots on Maxi Arnold in the middle, Max Cruz up front and Nadim Amiri. So it's a midfield general and a damn fine one at that. An experienced striker and a wide man who is capable of the absolutely spectacular. I quite like that as a as a, as a blend. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of managers would want a, a, a experienced centre-back in there maybe. But you take a look at that Germany back line and I figure it's probably going to be David Raum, Udwokai, Toroniga and Henriks. I think they're all 23, except for Henriks, who's 24. And between them, they've got 400 senior appearances in the Bundesliga or the Zwei Bundesliga. So that's a pretty impressive stock to call on at the back for an under 23 tournament. They're very lucky there that they've got those players and that experience. But more than anything, I think the key is the manager here. Be careful how you pronounce this one because his name is Stefan Kuntz. Um, But he won the under 21 euros in June with Germany and he won it back in 2017 with Germany. He can mold a team together on the fly and see it play above its relative station talent wise. He's a very, very good manager. And as I said, in a tournament where like a lot of this just feels chucked together and very random, having a manager who can kind of work out those kinks and get things to mesh is a very, very valuable asset. So in Kunz, I believe. Wow. That's uh, it's quite the statement. Quite the <laughs> statement. I, I might just get that one scripted and just write it down for you. Just to put, put it on a the t-shirt. Quote. Sam Tai, twenty twenty one. I am sad a little bit um, that we don't get to see the Arnie Meyer, Nicholas Dorsch pivot again, um, which obviously was incredible. But if you're slotting, as you say, if you're slotting Maxi Arnold into that, yeah. it's uh, it's like okay, go on then. If, well, if you must. Be in there. Yeah, Dorsch well, was, Dorsch withdrew, right? Yeah, so that was we were close to that as well. Yeah, but Maxi Arnold, what like what a replacement? Yeah, yeah, and and to be able to put them, it, actually, it'd be I, I'd imagine this is going to be quite a special thing for Ferrani Meyer to to be able to play next to Maxi Arnold. You know, to to have already won the under twenty ones, right? And then to come back and then be like, oh, I'm going to the Olympics, and I'm going to play next to you know a veteran player who'll be able to sort of coach me through that. And you'd imagine it's going to be probably a 4-3-3 or at least a 4-2-3-1 here that, that they employ. And with that in the kind of in the bag and, and having those two in that pivot, you, you know, that's a, that's a lovely thing for Arnie Meyer to enjoy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm delighted, to be honest. It's interesting that you, you uh, I'm presuming, Jack, that you've gone with, with Germany as your, your bronze medal there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you've gone with that because it is a mismatch, a mishmash of, of squad makeup, as, as you both say. But for me, it's the, the South Americans that I can't really look past. And I'm going to go with Argentina for the bronze because um, it's under, under 23 football in South America is a, a team in its own right. Whereas in Europe, you probably have the under 21 teams. So 
Argentina's under 23s have actually played a lot of games together. Whereas yeah, they have, yeah. You look at the you look at the I don't know the German team or the Spanish team or some of the Europeans, the French team. And it's kind of a mishmash of the under 21s that were at the under 21 Euro, maybe some senior players like Teji Savanier in the French team who hasn't really been uh, recognized at senior level, but is very much deserving of, of national team recognition. Um, and then of obviously uh, the likes of Florian Tovan, who I think is such a rogue pick for, for the French and, and Andre Pierre Gignac, um, who is I think twice the age of uh, one of the French players, Ducouré, which I think is very funny. I like that they just went, they were like, right, let's just get the Tigres boys in for a little while. Like, yeah. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, we, we can persuade the Tigres boys to, to come and represent their country again. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't worry, Deschamps isn't managing this team. It's Sylvain Ripoll <laughs> instead. Um, but I, for my bronze, I'm going with uh, Argentina because I think the the experience of playing together is yeah. is something which could potentially be um, quite quite important at this tournament. Um, and I'm I'm harking back to you know the days of Ultimate Team with team chemistry and whatnot. But I do think that is a, that is a quite important. Um, but in their squad list, it is just, there's just so much fun in there, and there's so many different profiles. You've got. Adolfo Gaich up front, who is just Love a Gaich. complete brute. You know, he's <laughs> prolific. He's very physical. He's got a great record at this level. Um, he scores goals for fun. Um, he's been very good for Argentina's youth teams, uh, and he's he's had to, he's been he's been through it over the past I don't know 12, 18 months. He was at Cisco Moscow in Russia, has uh, found himself now Benevento, um, and yeah, he's he's had to sort of adapt and to mould himself, and I think that's only going to stand him in good stead. Um, behind him, you'll probably have Alexis McAllister, who again. Argentinian, the best Argentinian surname there is around, you know, Scottish heritage has a brother called Kevin McAllister for anybody who likes the Home Alone franchise. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, he's got another brother, I, I believe, who I can't remember his name. France, but... Francis, if I'm not mistaken. They've all got yeah, really, yeah. really like biblical names. Yeah, yeah, literally. Francis McAllister sounds like somebody who invented the telephone or something. Um, you know, you've got. <laughs> Yeah, the um, I'm nearly calling him Kevin there, Alexis, who is a player who obviously Premier League fans will know because from Brighton, but he literally will shoot from anywhere, and that is accentuated when he plays for Argentina's under 23s. Yeah. He literally does take shots on from anywhere, often to his own detriment, often to his team's detriment, but it is very fun. And then on the wings, you've got options like Augustin Ursi, who I'm honestly not sure whether he'll get more red cards or goals. Um, he's just a complete live wire um you know he's he's diminutive but he's really gutsy wins fouls like they're going out of fashion um and then you've got Ezekiel Barco who's perhaps a little bit more refined from from playing with Atlanta United in the US um but is equally as unpredictable and I think if you've got that as a front four that the technical quality there um the the physical stature that you that you have with Gaich the the know-how of playing together um, I, th- I do think you've got you've got options there, and and, um, and I do have to give some honourable mentions to to Thomas Belmonte um, in sort of your players sort of a six or an eight, maybe in a double six or maybe as an eight, but he has played further forward, um, got a good eye for goal, and and Thiago Almada who is just another very exciting. We're all very we're all very excited about oh, watching Thiago Almada play, aren't yeah. we? It's just one just of those on on the world stage. I, I just yeah I can't wait, and I I just think that for me. And, and, and it is something in the Olympics where third place isn't exactly a cop out like you might have at the World Cup or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You actually get something for it. So yeah, yeah Argentina are my, are my bronze pick. So I like Argentina and I like the fact that I looked through the squad and I, I recognised so many of the names from the under 20 and under 21 
youth tournaments and you're right it is more of a thing to have a, a an age group like this in south america and like Erzi and de la vega and almada McAllister, gaich vera all these players have all played together a lot you're right also, you didn't mention Granada legend Nehuen Perez, which means that you are now kicked off the podcast. Thank you very much for uh, joining us, Joe, but your services will no longer be required. He's the captain. Um, I, I, do, I know that. I know he's the captain. Please let me stay. <laughs> um, what, what actually, the reason I basically ended up taking, taking Germany over Argentina in third was I did look at the, the knockout bracket and how it would shape out. And there's a team that we're going to get to who I think are very, very strong. And I think they're going to win their group. They're in the same group as Argentina. And then that means that Argentina will have to play the other really strong team. So I just wondered about their progress, although that can apply to Germany as well. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a crapshoot down there, really. Like picking the third one is difficult because of the way the, the groups have, have laid out. There's a really strong potential half to this tournament and at the bottom of the, the knockout stages. Hey, and we said that. Well, we've seen that before. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's exciting. I just wanted to just quickly add that Ezekiel Barco is, is one of those real ones where when he signed for Atlanta and oh, I was really excited about it. I was like, right, that makes sense. And it, it kind of felt like a red shirt because it felt like Almiron was going to leave, right? And it, it was like, that was that was going to be the replacement for Almiron. He was suddenly going to be the creative hub of this team. And he's kind of sparkled in really, really short bursts. Um, he's not really found any rhythm. And then you see him in... Yeah, I'll be Celeste. And he's like, hang on, you're a different player here. You you, you are suddenly just like, as soon as he puts on the international shirt, he's like, right. It's like James McLean on steroids. As soon as he puts on an international shirt, he just changes into like a world beater. Um, but Barco is, is similar. And I'm excited to watch him at this tournament. And I'm glad Atlanta have, have let him go. Um, now, I know it's more common, obviously, for, for MLS teams to be like, yeah, fine, whatever, do what you need to do. Um, but the, there's also this element that I was given the situation that Atlanta find themselves in again um, and the whole lack of management and how that's all going to change. I was a little bit concerned that he wasn't going to be allowed to go. So I'm, I'm grateful that we're going to get to see him in his national shirt because he gets to, you get to see the best of him a little bit more. I can't believe you used like an international super cyan reference and didn't mention Eduardo Vargas or Mauricio Isla, you fraud. Uh, unfortunately, uh, James McLean is high up in the people I love list. So uh, <laughs> unfortunately, he had to get a mention on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I'll be back to you, Sam. All right, number two. This is where I have put Brazil. Now, Brazil take this tournament very, very seriously. Last time out, they sent Neymar. So that's a decent idea of exactly how seriously they take it. Of course, last Olympics, they won it. And that was their first ever Olympic gold. Like They'd been chasing this and chasing this. And it had been heartbreak after heartbreak. And finally, with Neymar and Gabby Barbosa, they were able to get the job done against some poor, unsuspecting under-23 sides. It's quite funny, really, when you think about it. But they've gone and they've taken it very seriously again. And like this team, like you map through this team and you're like, right, what 11 can they field? And it is absolutely crazy. It's crazy. Like Danny Alves is going. I love this again. <laughs> it's another one. It's another double the age, isn't it? He, I, I think there's, I think there's a couple of twenty year olds in this squad who, who, who are almost certainly exactly about half the age that Danny I Alves mean, is this, at this point. The fact that Danny Alves is going is just awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And for those of you wondering what he's about nowadays, I watched the thirty minute highlight cut of their five two win over the UAE the other day in their warm up friendly. And Danny Alves produced one of the best crosses I have seen in several years to set up a goal that was eventually tapped in by uh, Gabriel Martinelli. So the team probably, or maybe, I don't know, we, we don't know, but this is what they can feel. Danny Alves at right back. Diego Carlos from Sevilla has been allowed to go. Uh, Arana is at left back. And then you've got like Douglas Luiz or Mateus Enrique, 
You've got Bruno Guimaraes from Lyon. And then in the front line, it's like, right, should we play Mateus Cunha? Should we play Martinelli? Should we play Richarlison? Anthony from Ajax? Malcolm over in Russia now? Rainier on loan at Dortmund? Paulinho from Leverkusen? It's absolutely sickening. It's sickening. And watching... Watching the play against the UAE, it was just chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. It was absolutely relentless. And it's kind of in line with what I saw from Brazil last time at the Olympics. And it was kind of scary, to be quite honest with you. Kind of scary. So uh, Andre Jardin is in charge. He's the under-20 manager. There isn't actually a single Brazil under-20 player in this team. It's made up of completely other players. So it was all a bit new, all a bit different. They will have to smash it together. But in this scenario... I can't look past the quality that I've just called out. And like having to pick between Cunha and Martinelli up front. Then you throw Richarlison into the mix. Like, yeah. you know, this is just a player with you know, 50 odd Premier League goals. It's or there or thereabouts. I mean, it's just, it, it beggars belief, doesn't it? That this, this is a team who are now, who are going to go up against a, a Saudi Arabia team who are, you know, punctuated by an entire squad of, players who are domestically based it's yeah it's going to be it, 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 there is potential for it to be um a bit of a, a one-way affair in in that game and and in that group maybe if, if Germany don't turn up but I think I think they will yeah I mean who knows what's going to happen in that Saudi Arabia game I mean because they're all domestic based obviously I don't know a, a thing about any of them they might be amazing <laughs> exactly yeah who knows <laughs> can we talk about Mateus Cunha's record for Brazil under 23s 19 caps 18 goals decent pretty special <laughs> it's not it's not it's not bad you wouldn't sniff it would you it's um it's an incredible squad joe um are they are they second view or are they favorites i think there's a, a fair shout to make them straight favorites for this tournament to be honest well up until the point where sam started talking about the tournament bracket then yeah they were my favorites but now i'm starting to maybe doubt myself a little bit and and stick I'm, to your I'm, guns joe stick to your guns okay sticking to my guns yeah they are my favorites but it's it's very very slight i mean for me in this tournament there are two contenders two really strong contenders and then the rest is kind of you know we'll have to wait and see it's like splitting hairs between between the top two for me but obviously brazil being one of them i think for me i'm really excited to see anthony because He's been excellent at Ajax over the past year. Um, he he has this lovely little pocket of space that he picks up on the on the right, just outside the penalty area. Um, he shifts it onto his left foot, and it's sort of between. It's the juncture between the edge of the D on the edge of the penalty area and the corner of the penalty box. He just finds space in this area every time. There's there's five or six goals that he's he's you know assisted for Ajax from this exact position, this exact scenario where he just clips the ball delicately to. To the back post and whether it was Lasina Traore last season, whether it was Klasian Huntala, whether it was um, Seb Alea, Seb Alea actually scored this exact goal on his debut for Ajax, um, but it just clips it to the back post and it's an easy little little side volley in, half volley or a, or a little header in more likely. Um, I'm just wondering who's going to be getting on the end of them because Anthony is going to deliver. So Joe, I can answer that question. I've just watched half an hour of him picking up that exact pocket of space on the edge <laughs> of the box. And I can inform you dutifully that he doesn't cross it anymore. He just shoots himself. He, he's just he shoots now. just shot. That's it. Every time what they've got the ball, he's like, right, off we go. Far, far corner. Let's curl it in. He was an absolute live wire in this game. He was like the plan A in attack. Let's get the ball to Anthony in that pocket of space and see what happens. And more often than not, he actually shot. Um, but he was actually he had a, he had a nice overlap from Alves on the right hand side, so he was then reverse pass, sort of slipping the ball into the byline, and Alves was crossing it in. It, it looked lovely, it really did. Um, I'm going to buy a Brazil shirt. I've just decided. <laughs> what, Who you put on, the, on back? the back? Yeah, 
<laughs> with um, Danny Alves on the back. <laughs> Legend. Legend. Has to, be, has to be for the culture, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. he's 38 years old and he's just appearing at the Olympics. It's just his box office stuff. You know, you, football you heritage right there. Football exactly. heritage in, in, in a nutshell. Um, which leads us on to your number one seed, Sam. Yeah, again, so Joe just said it. It's kind of splitting hairs between the top two, but I've decided to give Spain the edge um, at number one. We've covered the fact that Pedri's there. He's the storyline. He's in Tokyo. He's playing. He's amazing. It's Pedri. He's one of six players at this tournament who played at Euro 2020 for the senior team. One of six. So in total, that's Pedri, Unai Simon, Pau Torres, Mikel Oyatabal, Eric Garcia, and Dani Olmo are all at this tournament, right? And then you add in the fact that from the under-21 lot that played at the under-21 Euros and then had to play that final warm-up game for the Euros because the whole Spain squad had to quarantine, you've got Oscar Mingueza, Mark Cucurea, Juan Miranda, Brian Hill, Javi Puado, Oscar Hill and Martin Zubimendi. Seven players who reached the semi-finals of the under-21s all in this squad. Then they've added Mikel Marino, Marco Asensio and Danny Ceballos as the overage players. And they've got Luis de la Fuente, the under-21 coach, tying it all together he won the under 21 euros in 2019 he won the under 19 euros in 2015 he's pretty good at his job and of the players we've talked about there Unai Simon Jesus Vallejo Mikel Marino Ceballos Oyasabal Rafa Mir and Danny Olmo all won the under 21 euros with him in 2019 this is a squad of outrageous quality and it has about as much familiarity player to player manager to player as there possibly can be in this setup. The only thing that could stop them is that they're all too tired to play football. Yeah, there's a, there's a nice element to this, that the overage players are all 25. Like, uh. I, I like that a lot. Well, well Danny Sobias is 24, but he'll be 25 next month. Um, it does feel that like... that doesn't really count, does it? <laughs> well, it does feel, though, like they, they, you've started to stick the... You know, they've, they've, they've stuck with an age group. Now, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of a split. Like, But like as you say, there are players here who are 25 who would have been... Who would have played with the rest of these players at, at under level because mm. they're only a couple of years older and there's that nice like level of familiarity. I, I like this a lot. I, I like the balance of this squad. I like the fact that Marino's there in the middle. Um, he's had a, you know, a good season. And I think that there was, there was probably a fair call for him to be included in, in the senior squad for the 21s. Um, now, you know, we look at the, we spoke about the Spain midfield uh, on this pod a couple of weeks ago and, the depth is so so ridiculous that you can understand why you know the likes of Marino, Sabio's a little bit less so, but um, weren't weren't picked for the senior squad. But for them to then go and, and and take this Olympics and be like, right, by the way, we're still about and we're still here. There's a point to prove. There's an age group kind of nice blend, I think here and and across the board, it just feels like a really nice squad. I'm delighted for Rafa Mir, by the way, because. He was treated like dog at Wolves. And, and I appreciate that he, he he wasn't quite what they were expecting from him. But, you know, he obviously went back to Spain this year, scored an absolute shed load of goals um, and and is now kind of he's getting to, to kick on. I, I like him a lot as a, as a player and, I, and I, I'm delighted that he's got the, the opportunity to go and prove himself again because I think a lot of people wrote him off very quickly. I think with this Spain squad, you could field any eleven in any given fixture at this Olympics and it would still be the strongest team at at the Olympics that you know what we were saying about the depth there I mean the options they have is ridiculous I mean I, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, that Luis de la Fuente won the to under 21 euros with this with the vast majority of this Spain squad in 2019 because they were on balance at that tournament they probably they were the best team and de la Fuente is a great great coach I think um him and, and Stefan Kuntz it 
if if they weren't so dedicated to sort of developing their their country's um, you know unders talent, I think they could quite easily have have been in you know very very decent club jobs uh, at this point. So um, it's I mean it's it's also no surprise that Stefan Kuntz was the the opposite opposite number to De La Fuente in that 2019 under 21 Euros final with yeah. a few of those Germany players. So it's yeah it'll be an, a, a good little meeting of minds again. But just another thing on De La Fuente, I think part of the reason that Pedri hasn't been able to say no to turn up at the Olympics and those other players who played at Euro 2020 is that Luis De La Fuente, if you've seen a picture of him, is rigged up. Like he is <laughs> he is a very, very aesthetic older gentleman, to say the least. He is he's 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 got the uh, he's got the fashion sense on a to, down to a T, I think. And yeah, he um he knows how to fill out a shirt, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, that'd be it. The Spanish Federation had nothing to do with it. <laughs> with their history of um, potentially questionable decisions. I mean, look, there's a lot of clubs here like Barcelona in particular with Pedri who, are, who have been really asking quite, not, not, not so politely, I'd say, please don't take our players to this tournament. Like, don't take all of these. I mean, there are some that are obviously doing nothing. Like, Danny Ceballos has got all the time in the world, right? Yeah, Oscar Mingueza is allowed to go. Yeah, he can go. Sure. Like, Ceballos can go to the Olympics and he can figure out where he's going to go and play football after that. He's in no rush. It's fine. But there are a lot of players here, like, are quite key to their to their teams. Like, Oyasabal and Marino from Real Sociedad is... Yeah. Is a is a is a question. Athletic club are losing their first choice goalkeeper. Right. Yeah, I mean, Valencia aren't going to be able to fo- are going to be able to to work without Carlos Soler. He literally runs the entire show all the time. Um. So so they're literally unable to function for the first month of their season. So that's going to be exciting for them. And as we've discussed, Pedri is like is key to Barca. He played fifty two games for Barcelona last season. No play, literally no player played in more in more games. Like not even a goalkeeper. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one. I don't think the clubs are particularly happy, but the Spanish Federation clearly are taking this pretty damn seriously and fair play. It's, 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 there's an Olympic gold medal on offer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. I think is the, uh, the easy point to put to Spain. Um, I'm excited about watching them. So we'll be keeping an eye on it. Um, and with that, Sam, we should probably roll on to your final mini ranking. Mm. Top three teams. I am quietly rooting for in at number three, I've gone for Japan because it's a very interesting group they've called up, and I like the look of it. The overage players are Hiroki Sakai of Marseille fame, Maya Yoshida, the smiling Southampton legend, and Wataru Endo, who's just had an amazing season with a really interesting Stuttgart side. Mm. And Takahiro Tomiyasu is supposed to be negotiating a transfer to Tottenham, but he's still got time to rep his country at the Olympic Games, which I have a lot of time for. And with Kubo and Ritsu Doan in midfield, I think this is probably quite a fun little side that I am definitely going to tune in for. So up the Japan. Okay. All right. Who's in it too? At number two is Ivory Coast because they have a player called Nicholas Tai. Um, Spelt differently to my name, not the Irish way, but like an actual shirt and tie. But I figured that was as good a reason as any to wish the elephants all the success in the world. So they're second. That's um, it's a nice one. I mean, also like this squad is fun, like loads of fun. I mean, I'm excited about quite a lot of this. Like, you, you know, you mentioned the fact that they've let Frank Essier go, which is great. Um, but Ahmad wearing the number 10 shirt is is all sorts of fun. I'm excited about seeing Christian Kwame on on this stage because yeah. he's been sort of in and out uh, at Fiorentina. Obviously, they've they've managed to 
to slip Eric Bailly out the back door. He's one of the uh, he's one of the overage players. There's just a lot going on here that I'm, I'm excited about. And also, any excuse ever to continually watch Max, Max Gradle play football because, yeah, like, Gradle. when Max Gradle was at Leeds, he was like my favorite player in the entire world. Um, and and now, like, you get to you only get to see him very very like fleetingly when you you turn into a Seaver Spore game with ten minutes to go. But fortunately, we get to get to watch him in this tournament. I'm excited about seeing Max Gradle again. Maxi Gradle is such an enigma nowadays, isn't he? I don't know about you two, but it feels like Ahmad Diallo and Max Gradle are for, from two completely different epochs, and yet they're going to be playing <laughs> in the same team. Like, oh, they're, yeah. they're separated by 14 years, but for that is a long 14 years. <laughs> also, because Gradle broke through so young, like everyone was a bit like, "Oh right, this guy's going to be a star," and then he just completely faded off the face of the earth. And 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 it's sort of just to see him back and doing things again. I'm just like, "Oh, that's nice. I like that <laughs> a lot." Gradle's a proper on his day player, isn't he? Oh, yeah, on, on his day, mercurial we, is the word I would use. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right at number one, shouts out Joe Gallagher and Sean Anderson. If there is one team I hope win the Olympics, it's New Zealand. I'm loving the Wellington Phoenix influence on this squad. And they've got a couple of players in the Socceroo squad as well. I love the fact that Chris Wood is involved. He can partner Ben Wayne, a.k.a. the Wayne Train. All aboard. All aboard, choo-choo, the Wayne Train. And it's going to be pretty cool as well, taking it back to a bit of narrative FC, to watch Winston Reid out there marshalling a very young, very inexperienced team 11 years ago, he played his part in New Zealand's famous unbeaten three-game run at the 2010 World Cup. New Zealand were the only team to go unbeaten in the 2010 World Cup. Did you know, Jack? I did know. I did you know. Did it's, know uh, yeah. it's just a favorite fact. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Spain, Spain famously lost a game uh, despite winning the tournament. New Zealand didn't lose any. So who's the real winner? Um, and now Winston Reid is going to be an Olympian 11 years later. And that is so cool. But the one to watch... Joe, a favourite of ours is Libby Kakache, the Kiwi Ben Chilwell, flying left fullback, formerly of the Wellington Phoenix and now in Europe, a scouted football favourite, featured in one of the uh, handbooks. Yep. And, I know, and I know for a fact that Kakache owns a copy of that said volume and has read his own profile. Which is very exciting. I hope he's packed it in his suitcase for Tokyo and reads it for inspiration <laughs> ahead of New Zealand's opening game. Um, because, yeah, he's just a fantastic player. Just the big bodied left back, good at going forward, good at defending, you know, can really use his, his size to, 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 to put off opposition wingers. He's just, a, just seems like a really likable player. Um, I feel like you could, I don't know, you could maybe head down to the hotel reception, down to the lobby after uh, after one of New Zealand's games, and maybe chill out a little bit if it wasn't, of course, the the restrictions that are going to be in, in in Japan. But I don't know. I feel like you could you could get along with him because he just seems like a a player on the pitch that you could get along with off it. I mean, that's probably not the insight that all of your listeners want, but it seems it's 100% like... the, the insight that the listeners want. <laughs> seems he's... like a nice guy. Seems like a nice guy. And in ranks terminology, he is fully a rumbler. So, um, yes. so, yep. so we all get to, we all get to have a good time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board too. I'm all aboard. I mean, it, well, not only the Wayne train, but, uh, but the New Zealand train as Who well. Who are you yeah. supporting, uh, Joe? Um, it's interesting you say it because I actually also had, I didn't have sort of in, in the ranking system, I know, kick me off the pod again. But, That's right, mate, you're okay. Um, I did have Japan, I did have uh, the Ivory Coast, and I also had um, South Korea as well because I'd just like to see uh, Kang In Lee balling out balling mm. out for um, for his country, as he did at the Under-20 World Cup. He's had a bit of a tumultuous time at, at Valencia. You know, he's quite clearly one of the most creative players there, but there's, you know, contract issues and whatnot. But yeah, just seeing him be able to play football um, on, on, the, on the world stage is just, 
it's a, he is a joy to watch. He's just with those slide rule reverse passes, you know, his ability to just pick up pockets of space anywhere. He's just, he's brilliant. And he's, he, I mean, despite wearing the number eight, he's, he's their number 10. And, and I really hope that, that he has a good tournament um, because he's just a fantastic player. Because you can't give borderless creative players. It's not going to work. Um, <laughs> well, so and I'm Javi, concerned. Javi, Javi Gracia just like wasted him as well. Right. So it's, it's been, it's been, tr- it's been troubling for him, but he's a little South Korean David Silva and he is lovely mm. to watch, but, I did look at South Korea and I just tried to trace back how many of the under 20 World Cup finalists South Korea had taken to this tournament. And it's just barely any. There's barely any names in in conjunction. And obviously that team functioned extremely well. And Lee Kang-in was basically the focal point of it all. And I thought if they've tried to move that crop into the Olympics, they could be a real dark horse shout here. So I took a look. I was really sad to see so many of them made the recent kind of call-ups, but barely any of them made the actual squad. I feel like they may have missed a trick there. That said, not a South Korean football youth aficionado. So maybe they know more than me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. They, some things do happen. You can never you can never <laughs> know it all, Sam. We'll, uh, we'll give you that. All right. Well, that's pretty much all we've got time for on today's Ranks FC. But all that's really left for me to do is say thank you so much to Joe Donahue for joining us. Joe, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your insights. It's um, It's been nice to have a double whammy here with Sam and get, get those rankings going in, in double time. Well, it's been, I mean, it's been a pleasure to, to come on. Obviously, I'm a long-time listener of, of, of the Ranks FC pod. And yeah, um, thank you for, for having me, even if the only meaningful insight I could bring was that I would have a pint with Libby Kikachi if the opportunity ever arose. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been nice to go toe-to-toe with Sam and, and to join you both. Yeah, cheers. As I said, Joe, at the time, that's the only real insight I'm looking for on this podcast, which footballers I can go for a pint with. Um, but after the games is, is really what we're looking for on Ranks FC. Um, but thank you. We'll definitely have you back on soon. Um, thank you very much mr sam ty for your rankings as ever cheers mate pleasure um, i've been jack collins this has been ranks fc thank you so much for listening enjoy the olympics enjoy the gold cup if you are being part of it it's um it's a whole host of fun if not perhaps the most uh, exquisite football you'll ever watch we'll see you next week gang thanks for listening take it easy peace